Philippians chapter 3. We're going to look at the verse, uh, first nine verses this morning as we continue uh, working our way through the book of Philippians. Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 through 9. We'll read the passage together, we'll pray, and then we'll dive in and see what the Lord has to say to us this morning. Philippians chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Paul writes, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble for me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes from faith in Christ Jesus the righteousness from God depends on faith. Let's pray again together this morning. Lord, we pray that this would be true uh, of our own lives, that we would take stock of our lives, that we would look uh, at ourselves, Father, and we would determine and we would seek as to whether or not Jesus really is supremely valuable, uh, that we see Jesus as better than anything else this life has to offer. As good as other things may be, as wonderful as other things may be, Father, we pray that we would look into our own hearts and you would reveal to us whether we hold you above anything and everything else. And Lord, it is our prayer that if we don't, if we find places where we don't see you as most valuable, where we don't see you as most supreme, that Lord, you would change that, that you would just give us a better picture and a better image of who you are, that we might hold you in that, that capacity. Father, we pray that, that we would do that this morning, that you would come and that you would speak in a powerful way. And if you will, from your seat, if you will pray and ask the Lord to speak to you this morning. And if you're willing, if you'll take a moment and pray for me, uh, the Lord will use me and I would be helpful to you. Thank you, Jesus. We thank you for this time that we have this morning. We ask all of this in your name. Amen. Well, I remember being at FSU, and there was an event they did uh, every Friday that was similar to, to First Friday here in Americus, and I think they actually called it the same thing, if I remember correctly. I think they also called it First Friday. And this is my freshman year. I remember these things taking place, and I was with a, a campus ministry called InterVarsity at that time, and a group of us would go out the first Friday uh, at the first of the month, and we would walk around, and we would talk about people, we, or talk about people, talk with people, uh, and try to talk about Jesus with them. And share Jesus. And it was sometimes we got good results, sometimes not so good. It was kind of a mixed bag. Uh, but there was one guy always out there whose name was Dina. And I always liked talking with Dina. Uh, and Dina would, would share his story with me. And he had grown up in a Christian home and grew up in the Christian church. But just at some point along the way decided that, that wasn't for him. Said he didn't find a lot of fulfillment in it. It didn't answer a lot of the questions that he was looking for. Uh, never really felt close to God at all. And so Dina had become part of a group uh, the Hari Krishnas. And if you know anything about them, they're kind of an offshoot of, of Hinduism. They're kind of this weird branch of, of the Hindu religion. And so they would be out there at these First Friday events, uh, 
every time, and they would even come to the Florida State campus pretty much weekly, and they would sit out there, and they had an instrument that, that almost looked exactly like an accordion, and they would just kind of squeeze air through this thing as it would play music, and for hours and hours and hours, they would play this accordion-looking instrument and chant a 16-word song, and that's all they would do, just sit out there and chant and chant and chant. So I got to talking to Dina about it one day. I said, what's up with that, man? What, what was, what's with all the, the chanting, and, and why do you do this? And he said, well, our, our scriptures tell us that if we chant the name of our God like this, if we sing this song as many times as we can and for as long as we can, he comes close to us, and we can grow close to him, and we can have a, a better connection with God by doing this. And so he actually pulled out his, his scriptures at one point. He showed me the verse. And he said, Andrew, this is what it says. He said, all the grievous sins are removed for the one who worships Lord Hari, the Lord of all lords, and chants the holy name. And I said, so let me get this right. If you, if you come out here and you play this instrument and you chant this, this God's name multiple times and you sing this little song, you do that and you believe you, you will find salvation in doing that. And he said, yeah, do that, but, but there's several other things I, I would do too. You know, I can't eat meat and I can't gamble, and I can't use drugs or alcohol, and, I, and I'm supposed to kind of abstain from uh, other relationships with, with the opposite sex. I'm not supposed to give in to those things. And so as long as I do all of that, uh, yeah, one day I, I will find salvation. My, my God will be happy with me. And I think we would all look at that, and we would go, we, we feel kind of sad for Dina that he does that. That for hour after hour after hour, chanting a 16-word song and making sure he eats the right foods and he prays the right prayers and he does the right things, we would look at that and we would go, I feel so terribly sad for you. Because there's, there's a better way and there's a better Savior. And there, there's nothing that he demands of you in that at all. But I think if we're not careful, I think the scariest part about Dina's story is that can easily be any of us. And I don't mean that in the sense that any of us might one day just forsake Christianity and decide to be Hindu. I don't mean it like that, but, but I think the, the scary thing for us is that sometimes we can look at our Christianity and we can make it something it was never supposed to be. Because there is a version of Christianity that is out there. That there's a version of spirituality that exists that looks like the real thing, that sounds like the real thing, but you realize that it's going to lead you to a place you never want to wind up. And it's very stifling, and it's very tax, uh, taxing on you. And Jesus says, that's not what I want for you. I, I'm not here to burden you, and I'm not here to tax you, and I'm not here to make you do a bunch of different things. I just want you to know me. Don't worry about everything else. Don't, don't worry about all the rules. Don't worry about all the expectations. Just do you know me? Am I enough for you? Or do you think you need some other things? Because I think if we were to, to, to poll everyone this morning, if we said, you know, what, what does a spiritual person look like? I, I think we would get a lot of answers that revolve around what somebody does or what somebody doesn't do. We, we'd hear a lot of things about, well, well, a truly spiritual person doesn't go to these places. And they don't say these things. And they don't do these things. And they don't do that. And then on the other side of the list, we'd have the opposite. But they do go to these places, and they do these things, and they say these things, and they act this way. And we put up this standard. We say, if you measure up to this, well, then you're truly spiritual. 
And and Paul's going to lay out for all of this. He's going to say, that's not what I'm intending for you to do. That's not what Jesus is intending you to do. Are are there some things that go along with the Christian life? Are, Are there some ways in which Christians ought to live, in which Christians ought to act? Absolutely. But that's not the first thing Jesus is concerned about. So I remember when Aaron and I got married, I had a list, quote unquote, in my head of what a husband is supposed to do. But it's not like Aaron and I got married and we had our reception and then we left and we went to a coffee shop and we said, all right, we've got to sit down and write all this out. Aaron, tell me what you expect of a husband, right? And I've got to write this out so I can do all the right things. So I never displease you and you're always happy. Let me write this out. And I'm going to tell you what I expect of you. Let's write all this out. We didn't do that. And why didn't we do that? Because we didn't leave our reception and do that. We, we, went, we left the reception and went on our honeymoon. And we just started to get to know each other better. And we just started to to live with each other. We just, as we got to know each other more and know each other better, we just kind of figured out what the other one needed and what the other one didn't need. And the funny thing is, the more I got to know Aaron, there were some things on my list that didn't need to be on my list. Right? On my list, man, a good husband, he's going to do the dishes and she's going to be so happy with that. Well, your wife's really happy with you when you do the dishes and put everything back in the right spot. I learned very quickly that doing the dishes and putting them back wrong doesn't really help the entire situation. But then I also learned that there were some things that that Aaron would like me to do. That there, there are some things that she would expect that weren't even on my list at all. But I would have never figured that out unless I got to know her. And my fear is sometimes that we have these lists, we have these expectations of what God wants of us. But my my concern is that sometimes we're doing things and we're striving for things that God doesn't even care about. God's not concerned with it. And yet there's going to be a time when we stand before God and he's going to say, but there were some things I was concerned about. There were some things that I wanted you to prioritize and you never even considered doing those. And the reason you didn't even know I wanted that, the reason you didn't even know that might be an expectation is because you never got to know me in the first place. You just had your little list of of rules and your little list of expectations and you just tried to perform based off of that. He said, I wanted to give you a better way to live. And that's what Paul does for us here. So Philippians chapter three, verse one, he says, finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. And to write the same things to you is no trouble for me and is safe for you. And this verse almost seems like it's completely disconnected from the rest of the passage. He just starts talking about rejoicing all of a sudden, and then he's going to talk about elevating Jesus above everything, and it seems rather sporadic, but it's not. That This is Paul's positive preventative for not going astray. Because Paul's line of thought is, if you are supremely happy in Jesus... If you can rejoice in him and just find all of your happiness and joy in Jesus, you'll never go astray because you have everything that you want. And so he tells the Philippian church, rejoice in the Lord. And I'm going to keep repeating that to you. He's already said it in chapters one and two. He's going to say it in chapter four. Just rejoice in Jesus. Why? Because if you can be completely content in him, if you can be completely satisfied, completely happy in Jesus, you don't go searching for other things anywhere else because you have everything you want. Why did Dina leave and go into this weird Hindu sect? Because he wasn't completely satisfied in Jesus. So he went searching for other things. So Paul says, are are you supremely happy in Jesus? 
Are you completely satisfied in Jesus? Do you just love Jesus and you say, I have him and I'm fine. That's all I ever need. I'm completely content now. So that's the very first command in this. Rejoice in the Lord. Because it's safe for you to do that. And then Paul says, but there is a group here that you need to look out for. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. He said there, there's three uh, descriptors of these people. And Paul's referring to a group called the Judaizers. And th this was a group back in Paul's day who said, yeah, we, we believe in Jesus. And they would have told you every orthodox thing about Jesus. They could have come into our Sunday school classes. They could have come into our churches and that we could have heard them talk about Jesus. And we would have said amen to everything they said. The Judaizers would have said, yeah, Jesus was God. and Jesus is God. Jesus came and he lived the perfect sinless life that we could not live. Jesus died on the cross for my sin and for your sin. And Jesus rose again and Jesus returned to the Father. And one day he is coming back. And we would all go, amen to that. Except at the end of their, their talk about Jesus, the Judaizers would just add something to it. Yeah, all you got to do is put your faith and your trust in Jesus. And. And then came the list of rules and the list of expectations that they needed tacked on. And so the Judaizers were there, some of them true Jews, some of them converts to Judaism, and they were saying, listen, yeah, Jesus is great, and Jesus is good. Put your faith and your trust in Jesus. You need him, but you need Jesus and. You need Jesus and you need this ceremony over here. You, you need Jesus and this lifestyle over here. You, you need Jesus and to live out your life like this. And they would tack things on. It became burdensome to the people. And so Paul says, you need to watch out for the dogs, which is kind of ironic that he says that because this was a term that Jews would use for Gentiles. Because back in Paul's day, dogs were not cute, cuddly things that you kept in your house to play with and pet when you needed something. No, dogs were, were filthy scavengers out in the city. They, they feasted on dead flesh. They were nasty. You didn't want anything to do with them. And so the Jewish people, the chosen people of God, would look at all the other Gentiles and go, they're dogs. They're filthy. They're nasty. They eat the right thing. They don't, they don't eat the right things. They don't measure up. They're dogs. And Paul's flipping this on them. He says, you want to know who the real dogs are? You want to know who really is filthy? You want to know the person who really doesn't know what they're talking about? It's the person who possesses Jesus and still thinks they need something more. So he says, watch out for the dogs. Watch out for the evildoers. He says, these, these people out here who are telling you, oh, yeah, yeah, get Jesus, but get Jesus and, and tacking things onto it. He says they, they're doing it out of a good heart. They're doing it out of a good motive. They, they think they're elevating themselves spiritually. They, they think they're growing closer to God by doing it. But all of these right things they're doing, all of these good things they're doing, he says, in the sight of God, it's really just evil. Because they think they can measure up somehow. They think somehow they can please him with their own works. And it's not about Jesus anymore. It's about what can I do to make God happy with me? And then he says, and watch out for the mutilators of the flesh. The, the Judaizers were very concerned about if you want to know Jesus and you want to become a Christian, that's great. You got to become a Jew first and then know Jesus. So to become a Jew, you got to be circumcised first. If you don't know what that is, ask a deacon before you leave today. They'll explain it to you. All right. They're prepped and ready to do that. But Paul says, watch out for this. Well, watch out for these people who are trying to tack on everything else and say Jesus is great, but he's not enough. Jesus is really good, but he can get better. Paul says that's not, that's not what we need. That's not what you want. And I'm afraid sometimes we can do the same thing, can't we? That we can say, yeah, Jesus is really good and Jesus is wonderful. I put my faith and my trust in him, but 
Jesus is really good and Jesus is really wonderful, and I need something else, though. Right, so, so how many of us sometimes, we pray before every meal, not because we're really thankful for the food, we're just afraid of what might happen to us if we don't. And you know that's true, right? Because you've been at dinner before, and you've started eating too soon, and someone says, hold on, so-and-so, will you bless the food for us? And instantly, what do you do because you're eating? You quit chewing, and you chipmunk it in the side of your mouth. And then the person praying realizes you've done this, right? Oh, no. They have begun eating without the proper prayer being said. So I guarantee you the prayer goes like this. Father, thank you for the food. Thank you for the hands that prepared it. And Father, bless the food that has already been eaten. Because God forbid, right, you pray without eating for that food because you got to do it. You feel guilty if you don't. How many of us sometimes just read our Bible, not because we really want to commune with God and because we want to know more of him, but we kind of feel guilty if we don't read it? Well, I, I better sit down and do something. Pastor might get on to me if I don't. I better sit down and read this because, I don't know, it just feels like the right thing to do. But how many of us just sit down and say, I, I read this today because I wanted to know God. I wanted to know Jesus. I wanted to know more of him. Some of us go on mission trips, not because we really care about lostness, but we go on mission trips because it's, it's, it's a rite of passage. And I can go and check this off my box, and I can show people how spiritual I am because I've been to 17 different foreign countries, and I've met with these lost tribes, and I've talked about Jesus with them. I have no clue what they believe and what they actually know about Jesus now, but I can check it off my list, and I can show you how spiritual I am. Give me a round of applause for it. And Paul says you, you don't need any of that. In fact, really what, what Paul's saying here is that, that counterfeit Christianity reduces spirituality to a list of, of spiritual achievements rather than intimacy with God. He says that this false, verse, this false version of Christianity, which seems true and seems real, like, like you would want it, you want to possess that, he says, really, it's reducing your ability to know God, and really what you want is Him. You're checking off all these boxes, and you're checking off all these things that you've done, but you don't know Him. And Paul says, I just want you to know the Lord. I want you to know Jesus, which is why he writes in the next verse. For we are the circumcision who worship the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. That he takes this false version of Christianity and these Judaizers and he compares them to, to genuine, real believers. And he says, but we, we worship the Spirit of God in, in truth, and we worship by the Spirit. If you remember in, in John 3, the story of, of Nicodemus, when Nicodemus comes to Jesus in the middle of the night, Nicodemus is a Pharisee, so he's measured up. He's checked all the boxes. He, he's got plenty of, of spiritual achievement under his belt. To become a Pharisee, you would have had to have memorized the entire Old Testament. Nicodemus has got it. Nicodemus could have sat there with Jesus and said, Jesus, quiz me real quick. Ask me what Obadiah 4.2 says, and he could have rattled it off for you. Some of us didn't even know Obadiah was a book, but Nicodemus did. And Nicodemus can do that, but he comes to Jesus and he says, I, have, I got all these achievements, and I've worked my way up this ladder, but I still feel empty. So what do I have to do? And Jesus takes him back to the very thing he can't do. He says, you've got to be born again. He said, well, how can I do that? How can I be born again? That's impossible. And Jesus says, well, no. Do you, do you feel the wind? And that's just the Spirit of God. And then that wind's going to blow and that wind's going to fall. And wherever it falls, God just moves in that person's life. See, it's not about climbing this ladder. It, it says the Spirit of God moved through you. Has the Spirit of God awakened you to, to who He is and what He wants of you? And, and then you look at Him and you go, this is the greatest thing I could possibly possess. 
He says, we, we worship God in, in, in the spirit and we glory in Jesus. He's literally the word here he uses it is boast. We, we boast in Jesus. We don't boast in all these things that we've accomplished. We, we don't boast in all the trophies that we've earned and all the trophies we've obtained for all the spiritual things that we have done. And yet sometimes don't we tend to do the opposite? That a lot of times we, we evaluate our life, our spiritual life, based on how much we have achieved, and how much we have accomplished, but we don't boast in Jesus about it. You don't come to Jesus and say, Jesus, look at how much I've done for you. No, you come empty-handed and you say, Jesus, i got nothing to offer you. But will you save me anyway? And he does it. And, and there's a bunch of trophies we can try to achieve. And there's a bunch of things we can try to do to, to make ourselves feel good and make us think that God's happier with us because we do these things. God says, I'm not, I'm not looking for any of that. I, I don't need you to do any of that. You don't have to come to me and say, God, look at how much of the Bible I've read. I, I've read it cover to cover 12 times. I read it cover to cover once a month. God, look, look at how many times I attend church. I go every time the doors are open. Look at me, God. Look how spiritual I am. God says, you don't have to do any of that. I just want you to boast in Jesus. And I just want you to love Jesus for who he is. But Paul's going to beg the question a little bit more. And he's going to say to the people, if anyone thinks, though, that he has reason for confidence in the flesh. If you really think that you can measure up, if you really think you've got a lot of spiritual notches in your belt, let me tell you something. I have more. He said, circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. So Paul lists seven things that he had achieved in his life. And that's not by mistake. Seven was the number of perfection for the Jews. So Paul says, let me tell you how good I was. And not, not, not let me just tell you how good I was. Let me tell you how perfect I was at doing this. He says, I was circumcised on the eighth day. I was in this thing from the get-go. He says, I can point you all the way back to the Old Testament law in Leviticus where it said that every Jewish boy had to be circumcised by the eighth day. I did it. He says, I'm not late to the game. I'm not one of you Gentiles who converted and you did this, that you had this rite of passage done as an adult. I'm not one of you Jews who didn't actually follow through and weren't really all that committed. No, from the very get-go, eight days old, I was committed to this thing. I was a part of this thing. And he says, I was of the people of Israel. I was of God's chosen people. I'm not some convert. I'm not some guy who came into this thing later in life. Flesh and blood, true Jew, runs through my veins. This is who I am. So you Judaizers, most of you are just converts to this thing. I'm the real deal. And he says, but not only am I just of the people of Israel, I'm of the tribe of Benjamin, which would have been just a slap in the face to anyone who read this. Because Benjamin was the best tribe. Benjamin was the most no noble tribe right up there with Judah. Because Benjamin and Judah are the only true tribes that say true to David when the kingdom collapses. When the kingdom splits, it's Benjamin and Judah that remain in the south and remain true to God for this whole thing. So Paul says, I'm not one of these other tribes over here that forsook the Lord and forsook the true king. No, I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. And you know what? I even know what tribe I'm still a part of. Because if you remember all your Old Testament history, the kingdom splits. You got the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. And at certain points in time, both kingdoms get carried off into captivity. And once they get carried off into captivity, they get scattered and they intermarry with the different peoples. They, they lose their tribes. They don't know who they're connected to anymore. Most Jews today cannot tell you what tribe they come from. But Paul says, my family didn't lose that. 
We were so committed to this thing. We were so zealous for this thing that I can even tell you what tribe I'm a part of. The rest of you losers over here can't even tell me where you came from. But I'm of the people of God. I'm of the best tribe. I know what tribe I'm a part of. I'm a Hebrew of the Hebrews. What does that mean? I still speak the language. I can pick up my Bible and I can read it in the original language. The rest of you people who got carried off in exile, you're speaking Aramaic and you're speaking Greek. You don't know the language of God anymore, but I can speak it and I can read it and I can write it. Let me tell you more about my spiritual achievements. And he keeps going. It says, as the law of Pharisee, I reached the top rung of this thing. No one was topping me. And I wasn't just a Pharisee. I was the best Pharisee there was. I got taught by the best teachers in the best city. Paul goes through all of that in his biography and other chapters of the Bible. He says, I was the very top of this thing. People wanted to be me. I had all the achievement. I had everything you could want. I had the title. As to my passion for this thing, I killed Christians for it. I went out and started slaughtering people when they started to believe in Jesus because I was so right and I was so pure and I was so religious. And if you wanted to hold up the Old Testament law to my life, let me tell you something. I was blameless. You couldn't find anything wrong with me. I did it all right. It was perfect, blameless as to all of it. And so Paul says all of that, and he's going to say something shocking in a minute, but he says, listen, if you think you have confidence in the flesh, let me show you how much more I have. Because if you want to play this game of spiritual achievement, I'm going to beat you seven days out of the week. I've got this. I think sometimes we can do the same thing, right? That we can have our little list that Paul has here, and we can do the same thing. You can say, look at me, everybody. <laughs> I, I was in church from day one. Mama brought me home from the hospital, and next Sunday I was in that sanctuary. And I grew up in the church, and I've done my mission trips, and I was an elder, I was a deacon, I was a director, whatever it was. I have accomplished this, I have accomplished that. I was in church every time the doors were open. I never backed down. I was passionate for this thing. But the funny thing about that is every time we talk like that, we never mention Jesus in it. And that's the sad part. Because we talk about all of these things we have achieved, but we seem to never get to the part where, where Jesus achieved something for us. Where we get to the part and we say, yeah, but without him, I wouldn't have been anything at all. I would have never accomplished any of this. Because again, it goes back to that thought that the counterfeit Christianity, all it does, it just reduces spirituality to this list of achievements that I can rack up. And maybe I can make God happy with me. I can get other people to look at me. I can just wish they were as spiritual as I was. It doesn't matter if I really know God or not, but at least people are looking at me and I feel good about myself. But Paul says, but listen, I've got all those achievements. I've got all the trophies. I've got more than anybody else is ever going to have. But look at what he says. But whatever gain I had, I count it as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Do you hear what Paul's saying there? He says, I got all of these wonderful achievements racked up. I've got everything to brag about, but I look back on my life and I look at all of those things and compared to Jesus, they're nothing. I count it as a loss. Literally, he starts using accounting terms as he writes this. 
And he said, it's almost as though I'm looking in the ledger. And everything I saw as being a prophet to me wasn't a prophet. It was actually debt. It was hindering me from being who I wanted to be. So I look at all these things I thought were profitable, and now I count them as lost. I don't even want them anymore. Why? Because I found something better. Man, being, being in the tribe of Benjamin was great. Being a chosen person of God of Israel was great. Being circumcised on the eighth day, man, I was in on that from the beginning. All of that was wonderful, but I found something supremely better. I found Jesus. And now because of Jesus, I counted all as lost because I got him. And that's all I want. I love what, what the Bible says here, the way we translate it. Paul says, I counted all as rubbish. We, we clean up the language a little bit. Literally what Paul says, it's all dung. It's all excrement compared to knowing Jesus. And so could you look at the things in your life? Could you look at everything you've earned and everything you've obtained? And could you look at it and go, not that it's all bad. Hear me on this. It's not that it's all bad and sinful, but compared to Jesus, you go, it's garbage. Compared to how great he is, this is just, it's like a manure pile compared to this. And it's not that it's all bad. A lot of the things Paul named here were not bad things. They were wonderful things, things anyone would want to strive for. But he said, I've just found something better. So again, when, when Aaron and I got married, right, I gave up some things when I married Aaron. And when we stood there in front of that church and we said, I do, I had to give up some things. There were some things I counted as loss in order to marry her. And so my money was no longer my money anymore. We have to make those decisions together. I can't just go spend on whatever I want to spend on. We've got to talk about that. And do you, you want to do this? You want to do that? Or how are we going to do this thing, right? It's now our money. I gave up that, that independence of being able to do whatever I wanted to do. I got married. And I just can't go hang out with the guys whenever I want to anymore, right? Because now we got a family. And Aaron, you okay if I go out tonight? You need me here at home. What do you need me to do? We've got to work all that out. Right? I, I don't get to just come home and sit down and say, hey, I'm turning on the TV. I'm watching whatever I want to watch, right? Hey, what do you want to watch? You want something on? Were you watching something? Right? We work all that out together. There, there's loss in that. But I look at Aaron and I go, but she's better. Right? You get that? That I, that I married her and I go, well, well yeah, I'm going to give up my right to my money and I'm going to give up what I can watch on TV and I'm going to give up what I can go out and do with my friends when I want to. But compared to her, that's just, it's garbage. I, I don't need all of that because I have something better. I have you now. I possess you. So I really don't need all of these things anymore because I have something better. And that's what Paul's saying here about Jesus. All this stuff isn't necessarily bad. It might not be sinful, but you have something better. You have Jesus now and he's all you need. He's all you should desire. You don't have to try to strive anymore. You don't have to try to achieve anymore because you possess Jesus. He's all you want. I think sometimes we think about it and we go, yeah, Jesus is great, but I just, I just need something else. Jesus and, Jesus and, Jesus and. And it sounds so silly, I think, if we would just stop and think about it. So this past year, 2019, richest man in the world came out, or they, they recognized who the richest man in the world was, Jeff Bezos who's the, the owner and founder of Amazon, the stuff you buy all your, your products from now. June of $131 billion, with a B, $131 billion. That's how much he's worth. So just imagine for a minute if Jeff Bezos gave you all of his money. He said, here, I'm just gonna, I'll cut you a check. It's all yours right now. $131 billion. And you said, Jeff, 
thank you so much. This is amazing. I have $131 billion. Thank you. But I need this music stand. And you just cling to the music stand. Thank you for the $131 billion. But Jeff, this is nice. I got to have this thing, buddy. That check's really good. The money's in the bank. I can have whatever I want. But this, don't take it from me. I got to have my music stand. People would look at you like you're insane. You all are looking at me like I'm insane right now. Right? Because this is awkward. And this is weird. But that's what we do with Jesus. We go, Jesus, you're great. Jesus, you're wonderful. Thank you for everything you did for me. Thank you for dying. And thank you for rising again. And thank you for not making me have to work for my salvation. Thank you. Jesus, you are amazing. But Jesus, i got to have something else. Jesus, i uh, I got to have the title. i got to have the position. I gotta, uh, Jesus, I just gotta do something else. And Jesus goes, it's, it's weird, man. Like, am I not enough for you? Why, why are you clinging to all these other things? Just, just have me, because I'm, I'm it. Am I, am I that supremely valuable to you that you can look at everything else and go, it's fine, it's good, but compared to Him, Jesus, you are all I want. And so the Paul answers the question: What do you have to do then to be made right with God? If you're not doing spiritual achievement anymore, if you're not trying to tick off all the right boxes, what do you do? He says, well, I want to be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. And so what you need is not a list of expectations, a list of rules, a list of things you're going to do to measure up. Paul just says, no, you you need a faith in Jesus. You need to possess him and only him. So, so if, if counterfeit Christianity kind of makes it out to just be a list of spiritual things I have to achieve, true Christianity emphasizes intimacy with Jesus. It, it emphasizes just knowing Jesus and knowing him more and knowing him better. Because here's the thing. Once you love Jesus more and once you know him more, are, is your life going to look different? Yes. Are, are there going to be some things you do? Yes. Are there going to be certain ways you act? Sure. But you're not doing those things anymore so that you can act like you're so spiritual. So, man, I just love Jesus. And if Jesus wants me to do it, I'll do it. If Jesus wants me to go there, I'll go there. If Jesus doesn't want me to go there, I won't go It's fine, whatever. Because I just have Jesus. I have everything I want. I've got him. I have Jesus. And so the question really is, do you, do you just long for Jesus? Did you just wake up in the morning and you go, man, Jesus, I just want you. Do you go to bed at night just going, Jesus, thank you that I have you. You go throughout your day, and when everything comes up, even when bad stuff comes up, you go, Jesus, yeah, that wasn't too pretty, but man, I got you. Thank you, Jesus. But but we kind of talked about this throughout Revival when Blake was here, and and I've mentioned it a few times. I I can't do that for you. I I can't do that for me. I I can't just switch where I'm going to go, yes, Jesus, you are everything to me, and nothing else is as valuable as you. No, no, God's got to do that for you. It's like we talked about just a little bit ago in John 3. The Spirit just has to move. And the Spirit has to do something. He's just going to have to open your eyes to how great Jesus is and how wonderful and valuable He is to you. That's that's the only thing that's that's going to make it happen. And so on our last night of revival, when when Blake was talking, and he was preaching from Nehemiah 1, and he was talking about prayer and fasting and prayer and fasting, he was talking about, listen, if you you all want to see things change, 
you want to see things change in your life, if you want to see, see things change in your community, it's going to take some prayer and it's going to take some fasting. It's going to take some prayer and it's going to take some fasting. Like you're just going to have to cry out for God to do something because you can't do it yourself. Blake couldn't do it for us. I can't do it. We're just going to take God to do it for us. And I'll tell you, I, w- I was so convicted by that. Hearing him say those things, man, it's just going to take prayer and it's just going to take fasting. It's going to take prayer and it's just going to take fasting. And so I went home and I was, just, I was praying about that. I said, God, what do I do with that? What, what do I do with that personally? What does our church do with that? How do we just cry out for you and say, Jesus, I only want you. I, I only want to possess you. We only want to follow after you. Everything else, Jesus, is just, it, it's garbage. We don't need it. Just, just give us you. If we have you, we're fine. Like, how do we get to that place? And so then it was kind of like God just, you know, popped me in the head real quick. He said, dummy, were you listening to the sermon? Prayer and fasting. Prayer and fasting. What, what are you praying about? Prayer and fasting. That's all you got to do. And so I looked on the calendar and I thought, wow, that's really interesting. So next week, next Wednesday, starts Lent, right? Or the 40 days until Easter. 40 days until we celebrate that, that Jesus rose again. And so I got to thinking about it and I kind of mapped it out. And I thought, wow, there's, in, in that 40-day period... There are seven Fridays in that period. The last, the last Friday in that 40-day window is Good Friday. I thought, God, what would it look like for our church if we committed to every Friday saying, God, we're going to pray and we're going to fast every Friday. And God, we're just going to ask you to do something powerful in our church. And we're going to ask you to do something powerful in our life. That, God, we, we want to get to a point where we're just going to say, all we want is you. We don't care about anything else. Just give us you, because as long as we've got that, we're good. What would that look like? And so that's what I want to call our church to this morning. So that starting next Friday, would you pray and would you fast every Friday leading up till Easter? As I'm still talking right now and explaining this, uh, my wife was kind enough. I'm not good at these things. She helps me make little booklets like this. I made up a little booklet for us. So as I'm talking about this, I'm going to ask a couple of our ushers I got with them. They're just going to come around. They're going to pass this out to everybody who's here today. We'll have it up on our website, too, if you want that. But this is just a prayer guide for you as you walk up to Easter. And here's what I want to ask us to do. Every Friday, there's going to be six Fridays in this booklet. Every Friday, I want to ask you to commit to fasting and praying. Now, some of you may say, I can't fast all day long. That's okay. Just just give up one meal. That's fine. Give up two meals if you want to. Give up every meal if you want to. You, you pray to God and figure out what that, what that needs to look like for you. But you say, I'm going to pray and I'm going to fast. And normally in those times when I would eat a meal or I would do something like that, I'm going to pray and I'm going to seek God in my own life. And I'm going to seek God for our church. I'm just going to ask him to do something amazing. I don't even know what it is, but God, you just show up and you move. You do something incredible for us. And then that seventh Friday, that last Friday we have on the calendar is Good Friday. And what we'll do is we're going to have a Good Friday service here at the church. And it's not going to be anything big. It's not going to be any fancy. I'm not going to preach. I'm not going to do anything like that. It's just going to be a prayer service. And we're going to come in. There's going to be some music playing in the background. You'll have another prayer guide like this. We're, for, for just another time, right before Easter, you're going to pray to God. you say, God, do something in my life. Do something in our church. And hopefully you'll have fasted throughout that day. And on that final Friday, that Good Friday, we'll break our fast together by doing the Lord's Supper. We'll commemorate that together. But what would that look like if we committed to doing this and we said, God, I just want you so badly. I just want our church to want you so badly. Lord, this is what I want. This is what I need. So so would you come, Holy Spirit, just blow through us in a powerful way and think about what that might do. Because God says, "I, I can do more than you can even begin to ask or imagine. But do you really want it? And do you really need it? 
And so some of us might go, well, I don't really know how this looks. I've never done that before. I've never fasted. I've never done anything like that. Next Sunday, next Sunday night, come back to church. I'll put a pause on what we're doing in our Sunday evening series right now. And we're just going to talk about what is fasting. What is fasting? How do you fast? When do you fast? What do you do throughout that time? We'll, We'll talk about what that looks like. But will you commit to doing that? Will you commit to saying, Jesus, I I just want to know you more than anything else. I want to see you as more valuable and more supreme than anything else in my life. And so would you commit to doing this? Would you commit to pray and to fast on behalf of our church and just see what God does? So as we come to our time of invitation this morning, I'll go ahead and, Lynn, you can go ahead and come on up. But maybe you want to come this morning, you just want to say, I want to commit to this. I want to do this. I want to see you do something powerful in my life and our church's life. Maybe you're here today and you say, you know what, Jesus, I, I have just been playing the spiritual achievement game. And I'm just trying to check boxes. I don't want that anymore. Just give me you. But if there's a way that you're, you're being called this morning, if there's something that God's doing in your life, would you come and would you respond to that? Well, would you tell the Lord today, I'm committing to doing something for you. And I'm committing to only having you in my life. Whatever the Lord calls you, calls you to today, you come and you respond.